today is obviously this celebration of Jesus' victory over death, alongside sin and evil. The grave has been conquered. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. We sing hallelujah. Yet we do so, we sing and celebrate from within closed homes. We're not together as we normally would be. We're cloistered and shut up in some ways under these shelter-in-place directives. And we were in that place with very real concern regarding our health and our well-being and that of our neighbors under the shadow of disease and even death. These twin realities, the, the promise we celebrate and the experience we have exist in tension. Perhaps to you they feel downright incongruous, contradictory. This morning I don't plan to deflate that tension. I don't, I don't think I'm capable of it. And indeed, that tension is much of what faith is all about. Trusting a promise that is given but not yet fully realized, longed for, lamented over. But I, I do hope this morning to articulate something of what the promise of Easter is and is not that may help clarify things for us, might help us to make sense of our current circumstances in light of the gospel and the Easter promise. And I want to do that, clarify that, talk about what the promise is and is not by really talking about two things. One, the sting of death. And two, a new sense of possibility. The sting of death and new possibility. So first, the sting of death. Now objects in flight very obviously follow a set trajectory. Without intervention, thrust from a jet engine, for example, an object in space will follow this predictable path as it ascends and gravity takes over and returns it to Earth. Charting that trajectory leads to this predictable end point, this termination point. All life shares the same termination point. We don't know the precise timing, but the inevitability of death for all human life is there. This shared end point. This is where we began our journey to Easter on Ash Wednesday. It feels like a lifetime ago. A reminder that to dust you shall return. You are going to die. There's the temptation to seize upon the fact of Jesus' resurrection and say that this reality can be avoided. To suppose that faith in Christ means death is cheated or escaped from. Our psalm this morning even seems to suggest that with the line, I shall not die but live. Similarly, we might be tempted to say that death is not a significant thing. Because of Jesus' resurrection, we are in some way unaffected by it. We apply half a scripture and say, we're not to grieve, we're not to mourn. Death becomes no big deal. A few years ago, here at Church of the Cross, we sang a song, a song that I enjoy, that included this song refrain, Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Quoting the Apostle Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, quoting the Old Testament. 
The thing is, however, those words from 1 Corinthians have this sense of future expectation. Then, at that future moment, we will say, death, where is your sting? Until then, in Paul's words, death remains an enemy. It still has a sting. The promise of Easter is not somehow that Jesus avoided death. That's actually a heresy trotted out from time to time to undermine the claim of the resurrection. And the claim is not that death does not matter, is insignificant. As though now in Christ we we float above it, unaffected. C.S. Lewis in his book, A Grief Observed, reflecting on the death of his wife, puts this bluntly. The death of a loved one is an amputation. It stings. The promise we celebrate today is not that Jesus escaped death or that its barb has been entirely removed. The promise we celebrate is that Jesus has passed through death, that he descended to the dead, as we affirm in the creed, and was returned to us. The full weight of human expiration fell on him. Jesus' life was fully human. It followed the standard trajectory in this regard. He died. His lungs filled with fluid. His organs failed. He gave up his spirit. So the implication for us... Oh, and my mic. I lost my mic here for a second. Sorry about that, folks. I think I'm sitting on the court. So Jesus died. And the implication for us those of us who are seeking to match the trajectory of our lives to his, is that we can expect to reach that same end, to be on the way with Jesus. To be on the way with him is not to be on some other non-human track, untouched, unstung by death. Easter is not a just kidding to the declaration of Ash Wednesday. In John chapter 11, Jesus weeps over the reality of Lazarus' death. This is a remarkable moment. Knowing he'll call Lazarus forth, knowing himself to be the resurrection and the life, still Jesus weeps. The sting of death. A significant thing, an enemy. Our reading this morning from Acts speaks of witnesses. The term there is the word martyrs. At the time of the writing of Acts, it simply meant witness. But in the church's experience, it has been come to be associated with death. Those who die for their faith. Suggesting that the church regarded something other than death as ultimate. But the early Christians were not flippant about death. And they weren't death-seeking or death-ignoring. Common practice, even in times of extreme persecution, was to evade capture as long as possible. They didn't see themselves as superhuman or untouched. That wasn't the promise they had. Rather, what we see in the Christian tradition, in the faith of our forebears, is a sense that whether we live or die, we are the Lord's, as Martin Luther has summed up. Whether we live or die, We are the Lord's. In that statement, we see that death is no longer quite the end point it once was. 
the trajectory of life in Christ does not terminate in death. That union continues. This is the promise of our reading in Colossians. The end point Paul describes is glory with Christ. That is the new end. That is where our attention is to be directed beyond the grave, the extension of life into glory and abundance with him through death. That promise, the promise of Easter, does reduce death. It diminishes it. It doesn't provide an escape or eradicate its sting, but it does diminish it. The promise that even in the shadow of death, even in the grip of death, we are the Lord's. I've used this uh, illustration a number of times, but it still sings for me. In the film Wit, the English professor Eileen Atkins examines the poem, Death Be Not Proud by John Donne. And in that examination, she centers her focus on the punctuation of the final line, the poem's last line. She argues against the use of a semicolon, which makes the breach between clauses more definitive, and this concluding exclamation point that ups the drama. She suggests it should read, the last line should read, and death shall be no more, comma, death thou shalt die. Nothing but a breath, she continues, a comma, separates life from life everlasting. Very simple, really. With the original punctuation restored, death is no longer something to act out on a stage with exclamation points and semicolons. It's a comma, a pause. That gets at the truth of what we celebrate today, the reality of the promise. Today, we do recognize death as an enemy, an enemy with a sting, an enemy that is significant, that we don't ignore for ourselves and for our neighbors, which we shall all encounter. But in Christ, death has become a comma. We have this new and better end, one that transforms our experience, our approach to it. It's not escape or avoidance, but the promise of sharing in Jesus' destiny, fully human, glorious, and abundant life with him. And that promise of destiny or destination opens up new possibilities today, here, and now. Emily Dickinson once famously wrote, I dwell in possibility. For those in Christ in the hope of resurrection, that is true in an extraordinary way. They dwell in possibility. Peter's speech in Acts suggests something of this as he describes how the resurrection and the corresponding gift of God's life-giving spirit, in those things, the disciples have come to realize that Jesus is Lord of all. There's the possibility of new life for all nations, for us. I love that it's Peter who declares this. Along with some others, he's so very confused by the empty tomb in our John reading. And the two together, John and Acts, give a picture of the possibilities, the, the transformative potential of Jesus' resurrection slowly dawning upon the disciples, the, the ramifications unfolding 
a new world of possibility. The promise of forgiveness is very much the promise of new possibility. The possibility that our pasts, our inwardly bent tendencies, do not have the final say. That our destructiveness and our guilt and shame do not have the last word. The full weight of those things borne by Jesus on the cross, the one rejected, now become savior of all, the cornerstone. The familiar cycles of sin are broken in his death and resurrection. Something new and different is possible. This hope is named in Psalm 118. The voice of joy and deliverance is in the dwelling of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord brings mighty things to pass. There's a a causal link between those two lines. The voice of joy is heard because the right hand of the Lord brings mighty things to pass. In the houses of those made righteous in Christ, those forgiven, even when they're cloistered, sheltering in place, the voice of deliverance and joy can be heard. In a reflection on the resurrection, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, writes, To believe in the risen Jesus is to trust that the generative power of God is active in the human world, that it can be experienced as transformation and recreation and empowerment in the present, and that that its availability and relevance extends to every human situation, to your situation, to mine, to your home and mine, in the shadow of death, through our encounter with the enemy, the generative power of God. Quite simply, what that means is that if we believe that Jesus has been raised, we can believe in the power of God at work in other situations in our pandemic season, in our marriages, our employment situations, in our bodies, in the whole of our lives. We can look to the risen Jesus and have confidence that even as our lives follow this standard trajectory, the same power that raised him from the dead is in us, among us, bringing life even in death and seasons of disease at work such that new possibilities are available, such that we might know grace and extend it to others, such that the fear of scarcity or death need not dominate us, but that we can reach forward with arms in service and love, such that a new way of living, relating to God and others with freedom and joy is made possible. The promise of Easter does not deny the reality of death. And it does not deny us the opportunity to lament and name death as an enemy. We don't have to ignore or downplay the reality of death's sting to be true to the promise of Easter. But the promise leaves us with so much more, too. The promise of the resurrection is the promise of possibility of the power of God over death, evil, and disease, here and now, today. 
in every situation, in the very worst of times and the most fearful of moments. In Christ, this promise is ours, can be ours. In the name of the risen Jesus and by the same spirit that raised him, let us lay hold of it. I encourage you in You find yourself now in a time of need, in a seemingly hopeless situation. Call upon the name of the Lord again or for the first time. Call upon the risen Lord Jesus. If it's the first time, you're calling upon him for forgiveness, for freedom, for a taste of joy. Let someone else know that if it's the first time. We want to share with you in that. And for those who have held to this promise for a long time, Let us lay hold of the disciplines of joy and celebration, especially this Easter tide, in this season. Let us remind ourselves and others that in death and in life, we are the Lord's. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.